Good morning. My name's Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Door Creek, and it's good to be together and to sing of God's love. And it's been a historic week in uh, in the life of our church. Not only did we kick off another ministry season, uh, but we started and kicked off our our new resale store, Boomerangs. And uh, to, to be there this week and to see it in action and have it dedicated to God and serving others. And just check it out. Bring some stuff down that you're saving for Goodwill or St. Vinny's like you've always done. And just start thinking, hey, boomerangs. And it goes to help people in the community. And it goes to use the, the, the profits then of that store to, to meet a whole bunch of people in our community that we won't usually meet. Some of the homeless that are being served down at the uh, Salvation Army Center. Some of the people that are um, finding housing through IHN and the Nehemiah Project and all that's going on through Fountain of Life. And so it's really great. And we're looking for volunteers. They got lots of clothes. We could use some more furniture. And when I said it in the first service, I think people started thinking I was asking them to, to empty out their living rooms. I was just thinking about the stuff, you know, that, that's in the garage waiting to move. So... Anyways, that's exciting. The other thing that's exciting is right now, as we're meeting in here, uh, I just walked over from the video cafe, and there's another group of people that are worshiping there. And it's exciting just to see that there's, there's more space and there's little different flavors here as we worship God together. And so that's a really cool thing. And, you know, we're just getting the kinks worked out, and there's a lot of different things going on at the same time. And, hey, just thanks for your patience as we're... We're working that all out, but these are exciting days. Now, this last week, you probably heard, although it doesn't make a lot of news these days, but it was the the anniversary again of 9-11, right? So seven years ago. And all we need to do is see the picture again, and we go, oh, my word. It's like a bad movie. It's like, how could this really happen right here on our own soil? And when we think about the emotions that those three numbers, 9-11, bring into our own minds and hearts. It's, it's stuff that we'd just assume not be there. Shock and fear and horror. Um, just a great sense of insecurity nationally that, that somebody could just fly an airplane into our trade center buildings. And yet today we're going to start a series that has us looking at a whole new set of numbers. And these are the numbers of hope, not of fear. And it comes from a verse in the Bible. John wrote it. This would be Jesus' closest friend. He wrote a gospel by, that, by his name, John. And in the third chapter, the 16th verse, we run into this wonderful message of hope that reminds us 316 are the numbers of hope. As we follow through the cadence of that verse, he loves, he gave, speaking of God, we believe And then we live. And we're going to do this series over the next four weeks looking at this verse and kind of following the pattern that Max Lucado's laid out in one of his books by the same title. And then after this series, we're going to go through a series on 10 questions, key questions. I call it questioning Christianity. Maybe it's a question you have or one of these is a question you have. That's really kind of sticking in your craw right now. I don't know how I could believe in this God or follow this Jesus until I get a a good answer to this. Maybe your question is, how how can I even know there is a God? How can anybody know that? Is there really a God? How can I know that the Bible's reliable? 
How, how can I know um, that Christians just aren't intolerant? It seems like they're so intolerant. How can, I had a guy on Friday night at dinner say to me, how can Christians, why do Christians think they're the only ones going to heaven? How can a God who's all-powerful and all-loving allow for pain and suffering? How could a loving God send anybody to hell? Questions like that. We're going to kick that off in about four weeks from now. But I want you to think about the first time you were confronted with John 3.16, this great verse, speaking of God's love, that give us the numbers of hope. Was it by chance a sporting event? where the, the, the camera caught this wild and crazy guy in the end zone that was jumping around with his John 3.16 sign. You remember that guy? Uh, was it um, when you were maybe going to church in an early age hearing this verse taught by your Sunday school teacher? I remember it like it was yesterday. And when I was a kid, you know, everybody read the same translation of the Bible. It was called the King James Version, which literally goes back to 1611. It kind of sounds like that when you hear me say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoa, that's how I learned it. First verse I ever learned. And a lot of people would say the best one verse to tell you what the Bible's all about, the best one verse to tell you what God's about and how much he loves you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we're going to look at just the first six words. For God so loved the world. And I want to ask you some questions about love as we start talking about God's love. Number one, on a scale of one to ten, one low, ten high, how would you rate yourself as a lover? You're going, well, man, I'm not even married. Yeah, oh, that's okay. How, how do you rate yourself as loving your brother? How, how do you rate yourself as loving your parents? What, where, how do you rate yourself? Number two, how would you rate yourself one low, ten high in terms of feeling loved today? Do, do you feel very loved? You're up around the tens or not very loved at all? I got to believe that there's a whole group of us that are somewhat frustrated, not somewhat, we're actually very frustrated with our inability to consistently love people like we'd want to love them, like we'd want them to love us, like we want to love them. And it's usually the people closest to us that we find the most difficulty to love. And I got to believe that there's somebody here this morning that really is struggling with this whole thing of feeling loved. You just... Don't feel loved at all. A proper understanding of John 3.16 can radically change your answer to those questions. Can radically change the way you live life this week and the way you love others this week. So we're going to look at John 3.16. As we do, let's remember this. That God defines himself in the scriptures with the word love. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's who God is in his essence. He's love. He defines it. He describes it. He helps us understand true love as he sends his son to live it all out. And what we got to say right from the beginning is when we talk about God's love, 
we have to get at a whole different level of understanding because the way we love and what we love is so different than the way God loves and what he loves. So think about the things we love. So here's a little collage. When I think about things we love, I think about, well, we love our, our spouse. We, we love Babcock Hall ice cream. We, we, we love a beautiful sunset, a, a Badger victory last night, right? A good football game. We, we love our kids and our grandkids. We, we love that beach vacation. Man, if we get to the Caribbean, that would even be better in the middle of winter. Here. We love all these things. And in one short conversation, I could say to my wife, Lori, that I love you as I'm preparing my sandwich with all these goodies that we got from Trader Joe. And I slice that Comte cheese imported from France. And I go, oh man, and I love this cheese. I'm going... I love my wife and I love Comte cheese in the same breath almost. And we're going, it's kind of weird. We, we, just, we say we love all kinds of things. It's because we don't have that many words to, to variegate it, do we? We like something or we love something. And when you think about the things that we love, we love the things that bring a return into our life. I love the things that give back to me, that make me feel good, that make me feel happy, that satisfy me. And so our love has everything to do with what this object brings back into my life. And God's love is so different than that. So different. Because when that object doesn't start doing what I want it to do, we cut it off. Because our love is conditional. And God's love is not. Look at what the scriptures say about God's love. Number one is it's eternal. It's just qualitatively different. It's unending. And so... We read this in Jeremiah 31. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's not for a while. I'm thinking about loving you. And I'll talk about how long I'm going to extend it. Everlasting. I always have. I always will. His love is a covenant of love. It's a promised love. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, we read about it. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his promise, his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. The psalmist says, God's love never fails. It's unfailing. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. There's, there's no gaps with God's love. It's perfect. It never falls short. So unlike my love. So unlike our love. Then there's this beautiful verse in Zephaniah 3.17. The prophet writes, The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And, I mean, this is just hard stuff to really believe. That, that as we're singing praises over God, that Zephaniah says, actually, God does the same over us. He, he delights in us and he quiets us. A restless heart that's looking for love in all kinds of places. A heart that right now is so distracted with the things I got to get done this week by this hard relationship in my life right now by all these things and and all of a sudden God's love comes in our life and it quiets us and it gives us security God's love God's love the scripture says is inseparable Romans 8 39 neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord that means this that there is nothing 
you've ever done in your life where God would say, I can't love you because you did that, man. There's nothing you could ever do in your future that would recalibrate God's love because it's calibrated to his character, not ours. His perfection, not our imperfections. He loves us perfectly, and so nothing can separate us from his love. And that love is undeniable. It's verifiable. It's been demonstrated at the cross. It's what we'll be looking at next week when we go to the second part of the verse, he gave his one and only son. Romans 5, 8 tells us when God started loving us. And it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Not when we had our act together, he started loving us. But even when we were a mess, when we were rebels, he still loved us. He demonstrated his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And so we say God's love is so different from ours, qualitatively different, quantitatively different. Little Nan wrote this letter to God. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all of everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Then we go, Nan, that's exactly right. In fact, it's the hardest place to love people. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever thought about that? The people that you love the most are the hardest people to love, and the people that you know the least are the people that sometimes you love the easiest. It's like, what is the weirdness with that? It's called life. It's called we're sinful people and we're rough-edged and we have our guard down with each other. And, and John 3.16 tells us the extent of his love is for the world. It's for everybody, which means it's for anybody. And when Jesus said this to this guy that he's having a conversation with, you go back to the beginning of John chapter 3, you find out there's this religious leader named Nicodemus. He's like the religious elite kind of a guy. He's part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council. And he comes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want his cronies to know that he's really interested in this guy. And they've been talking about him. And they try, they've been having this conversation. Who is this guy? And they got to figure it out. So in verse 2, he says, we know who you are. We, we see who you are. You are a teacher sent from God because, wow, you're doing miracles like we don't see anybody do. So we know you're special. But basically what he's saying, you're just another prophet. You're not that special. You're certainly not the son. of. They don't have that idea that he's the son of God. And so Jesus says, well, you think you know who I am? Well, let me say that you can't see the king. You can't taste the kingdom of God. You don't know who, who I am until you're born again. He says, born again? How can you get into your mother's womb again to be born again? You can't do that. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about a a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth, a birth of the Spirit, whereby you are given insight to understand, this is who I am, the promised King, the Savior of the world, the one in whom all hopes can be satisfied. And he says, the way that you can receive this new birth is by believing in the one who died a death for you. Just like the serpent was put up on a post back in Numbers and people had to look to the serpent to live or they would die by these venomous snakes, the Son of Man, he's speaking prophetically of his forthcoming death, is going to be lifted up on a cross, skewered on a cross, and as you look to him, you live. You're given new life. 
And the reason God would send his son for a bunch of rebels so that they could see who Jesus is and taste of what it means to live in his kingdom and its relationship with the king is the reason is because of John 3.16. When you, when you read a verse and it starts with the little word for, you always got to say, why is that there? You got to go back. And, and what he's telling us is the reason God did it is because of John 3.16, because he loved the world. But let me suggest this. When Nick heard the world... He didn't do like you and I do. You and I say, of course God loves the world. I mean, that's the kind of God we would want, a God who's a God for everybody. But Nicodemus and the religious establishment of his day were Jews, and they were proud of the fact that they were God's special people, God's chosen people. And the concept of God loving the people of Israel was easy. The idea of God loving the world blew the categories, blew the categories wide open. And when we understand that the world here is not just all kinds of different people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, but from all those different people groups, a specific kind of a person, a person who's rejected God and who is living a life contrary to God and his purposes, these are the people that God sent his son to die for. These are the people that he loves. This is the heart of God's perfect love. And when you start to see how Jesus demonstrates God's love as he lived it out as a son of God, all of a sudden we see Jesus, he's loving kids and he's loving proud religious leaders and he's he's loving the outcasts of his day from the grotesque leper to the prostitute to the hated tax collector. And he, he loved the insiders and he loved the outsiders and he loved the faltering fishermen and he loved the guy who betrayed him and the guy who denied him and he loved the people that crucified him. Unbelievable kind of love. And what we have to say is this, if God so loved the world, then he loves me. If he loves everybody, He can love anybody. And if that's true, Max Lucado has this profound quote. That means you have never lived an unloved day in your life. But it doesn't feel like that. And maybe right now today it doesn't feel like that. Why would that be? If this is true, God telling us, I love you, that there's nothing you can do to earn my love. There's nothing you can do to lose my love. I I love you perfectly. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more or love you less. Why don't I feel that way? So let's talk about it. Why would a person today, why would you not feel like God loves you? Well, one of the reasons could be that you've never actually even heard of that concept. Your concept of God is it's an abstract idea. It's, it's impersonal. The idea of a personal God who would create us for a relationship with him, whereby he'd even call us a friend, just blows the categories. I, I, I can't get, that's not what I've ever heard about God. And so maybe you've never heard about God's love. Maybe you've heard about it, but you've never received his love. You see, this is where God's love is similar to our love. And that is that we can't force somebody to love us. I remember that way back early in junior high. 
in junior high, there was a girl who lived around the corner from us, and uh, she was in my class. Her name was Jenny Stamm. Jenny's mother was from Germany. My mother was from Switzerland, the German part. And our mothers loved to get together and do the Hochdeutsch thing. And it was all good, you know, over coffee, doing the German thing. Well, I found out because uh, the notes were passing from persons to persons, and it got to me that Jenny liked me. Well, Jenny was okay, but I didn't really like Jenny. I liked Elizabeth Feeney. So I had my people talk to Elizabeth's people, and the notes got that way. And all of a sudden, Elizabeth Feeney and I, we were going steady. Whatever that means in sixth grade, we were going steady. And then I got a note. You know, Elizabeth sent a note from her people to my people, and it came back to me that said, no more, steady, we're done, it's over. You see, we we can't force somebody to love us. And, And the deal is, we can reject God's love by not receiving it. And the verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, that's how you receive this gift, through faith. And we'll talk all about that next week. But some of the reasons that we don't feel God's love is because we've never heard it, we've never received it. We've never received it. But then there's this whole thing about feelings. Feelings, man, they're powerful. Really powerful. And they're so powerful that they can start redefining truth and reality. And we need to say this real clearly. That the things that I feel strongly and the conclusions that I make from those feelings are not always true. I don't know if you heard about the guy, the dad, who as Ike was moving up from the Gulf Coast on the shore going inland, looked at his house and saw this tree that was probably dying, and he said, this tree's going down in the storm. If I don't take it down first, it's coming down. And I don't want to bring harm on my family and damage to my property. So he pulls out his chainsaw, and he takes the tree down. But it falls on his 10-year-old son, and he dies. I don't know where this guy is with God, but I can guarantee you, He doesn't feel like God loves him. God, how could you let the very thing I was trying to do to protect my family be the thing that takes my 10-year-old son's life? I talked to another guy this week. He says, it was just like the illustration last week. He walks into his supervisor's office. The guy says, it's over. You're done. Pack up your things. Can, can you tell me why? He said, no, I don't have to. You're on probation for a year. We don't have to give you any reason. You're done. The young man goes on to tell me, and my wife's due in a few weeks. It doesn't feel like God loves me. When I lose my job a few weeks before my wife is to bring another child into this world. You went to the doctor this week or last month or someone close to you, and they heard a diagnosis that's just changed your life and your future. It doesn't feel like God loves you. When you find out someone close to you, a close friend, your spouse, has been unfaithful. These feelings just well up and they start shouting to us. And it doesn't feel like God loves us. But we have to remember that they're not always true. Let me take you back to your childhood. Remember the days when you were disciplined and mom or dad said things like, you know, this hurts me more than hurts you. Yeah, yeah, we heard that one before, mom or dad. 
and I'm doing this because I love you. And we kind of, we made this covenant with ourselves. I will never say that to my kids. Right? And, and we just, you know, well, what happened? We got disciplined. And we didn't feel like they loved us. In fact, it, it was very easy for me to go back to those times and remember me saying or feeling this. My mom doesn't love me. My dad, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. Then you kind of grow up. You look back on what was going on. You realize the opposite of love is in hate. It's indifference. It's not giving a rip about what your kid does. And you start getting some new perspective. And all of a sudden you realize, huh, my feelings were real, but they weren't rooted in truth. And so what happens in life when it's hard, these feelings well up. And they start flapping in the winds of these storms and the winds that are just coursing through our hearts and our minds. And what we need to do is grab a hold of that loose end and tie it down and stake it into the truth of God's word, the truth of God's character. And what happens is we've allowed our feelings to redefine reality in God's character. And that's why we don't feel love. Because we're believing our emotions and we're not believing God's word. Let me give you a third reason why it happens. And this is we fall back in the paradigm that I'll call the religion paradigm. The religion paradigm is so different from the gospel paradigm. The gospel paradigm says we love God because he first loved us. We don't work for his acceptance and love. We have it. And so we long to follow in his steps as loving, obedient servants. The religion category goes like this. God would never love me until I get my act together. And so I've got to do things so that God will accept me. And here's how it goes. For a lot of us, we went through this door and the door had over it grace. And we go, man, this is, this is new for me. It's not about my works. It's about what Christ has done on the cross. I don't have to earn my way to heaven. I get it through Christ. And I believe in Christ. And it's a gift from God. And I enter into this new life and relationship through grace. And we celebrate it. We can quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. And then we close the door and we keep walking in this new relationship with Christ. And all of a sudden we revert back. And we forget about grace. And we become very preoccupied with our shortcomings. And we fall back into the paradigm that says, God loves me like I love other people, conditionally. And that I've got to earn God's love. And this kind of behavior and this kind of response isn't what God is pleased with. And so I'm losing his favor. And at the end of the day, we lose our way. At the end of the day... We no longer believe the gospel. And so we don't feel love because now we've projected how we love onto God and we've forgotten about grace and how God loves us so differently. Well, it's not just a problem with our feelings. It works out then in how we actually love people, but there's a connection And so not only do we sometimes not feel loved by God, but we would say we don't do a very good job of loving like God. And here's the connection. How in the world will I ever share the love of God if I don't feel like I have the love of God? But if I have his love, as Romans 5 
5 says, poured into my heart through the Holy Spirit, then I'm positioned to do that. And, And there's a huge connection that we need to make in terms of why do I find myself so angry? Why do I find myself so short? Because I really don't believe that God sings over me. I remember this being driven home in a conversation with a group of pastors. One guy was just sharing about his experience of once a month taking a a quiet day to reflect, to be quiet before God, read his Bible, pray, and just listen. And I couldn't believe what this guy said. He said, sometimes I hear God saying, David, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. And the thought struck me. I've never heard God say that to me. I don't think I've ever heard him say that. Because it's kind of like, I'm falling back in that category, in that paradigm. And and when when I, when you feel that way, we are handicapped. Look, we're never going to love perfectly. But when we experience and receive his love, that kind of unconditional love, we are positioned to give that love. God so loved the world so that you and I could love him and his world. And when that happens, it starts working out in all kinds of cool places. One of the places that you may find the hardest place to work it out in is your job. You know, how does my faith work with my job? We're supposed to worship God in all of life. Well, let me give you an illustration of how it works out. Tim Keller, pastor out in New York City, tells the story of this woman who worked for ABC there in New York. She, she says, here's my story. I was new on the job. I messed up. It was a big mistake, mess up. I should have been fired. But my boss covered for me and completely took responsibility for the blame, my mistake. And it blew me away. It unnerved me. I've never had a boss do anything but take credit for what I've done. No one's ever taken blame for me. And so I asked him, why did you do that? Why did you do that for me? You can understand his hesitancy. He was her boss and needed to be careful about that relationship in the workplace. But she kept haggling. Why did you tell me? You got to tell me. He said, well, I'll tell you why. Because I know and serve a loving God who took the blame for me. And that's why I can take it for you. You see, when you understand God's love, when you receive God's love, it just starts working out in the workplace. It works out in our family relationships. Like the wonderful story that Michelle Attaway tells. Michelle and Jay were very young when they began living together. They knew it wasn't a lifestyle of living together and the drugs and the partying that they were into that had the parents, Jay's parents, pleasure. They knew it was going to go in an opposite direction. And she was convinced that Jay's parents would be so disgusted with them that they'd want nothing to do with the two of them. And so she was completely surprised when they were invited over for dinner. And she never forgets that night, sitting at this elegantly decorated table with this beautiful meal, how self-conscious she felt in her tattered clothes with her tattooed body and her ten piercings going, oh man, this is, not, this is weird. This feels really weird. But she was overwhelmed by their kindness. 
the invitation after dinner to stick around and play Scrabble. And, and it continued, the kindness of Jay's mother, who would drop off a bag of groceries, who would write a note and put some verses and mention that they were praying for them. And she remembers taking these notes and reading aloud to her druggy friends, and they would just mock Jay's parents and laugh at them. All the while, she felt herself spinning down deeper and deeper in despair into darkness. After a week-long drug binge, she said that she and Jay just came face-to-face with spiritual darkness in their own hearts and lives, and it scared them so much, they called Jay's parents. They came over with their pastor and some friends, walked through this litter-strewn living room with drug paraphernalia and skull posters on the walls, and never said one condemning word. Just loved them counseled them, prayed with them, pointed them to Christ, his love for them. And she talks about giving her heart to Christ and having just a new wash of forgiveness and hope come into her life. And she talks about their experience of joining into this, this little church of Jay's parents and just noticing how these friends at church were so different than their friends that were so fickle back in their drug culture. She talks about going to the ladies' group and they would get together and she was the only married teenager in the group and she'd never seen so many ladies excited about glue guns and and dried flowers before as they were putting it together and, and yet there she was feeling at one point so like I don't belong here and feeling so loved here all at the same time. And she said our experience in those early days after they realized that they should get married and they got married in this hippie style barefoot wedding she says is that we were just loved on by these people so there wasn't a week that went by where there wasn't anonymous bag of groceries a, a, a check with some money in it some flannel sheets for their bed just this overwhelming sense of just being loved and then it continued on as they started to notice that there were kids in the church and there were kids living on the streets that needed that same kind of love. It reminded them of how they'd been loved by Jay's parents in this church and now they're sharing that love with those students. It works out in our families. And you know, the reality is there isn't one of us here that doesn't have someone who's hard to love. And it'll never happen until we're secure and quieted in God's love and His love is poured into our hearts that it pours out like it did two years ago just about this time in an Amish community in Pennsylvania when Charles Roberts walks into the one-room schoolhouse and sends the teacher and all the boys out and leaves 10 little girls and tells them what he's going to do. And he shoots them and kills five of them. And that story went ripping across the country and across the globe not because of Charles Roberts' heinous actions, but because of the Amish people's response. That very night, members of the Amish community went to Carol Roberts and extended forgiveness to her and her family. Just a few hours after they buried the five girls, many Amish families were gathered around Charles Roberts' grave at the side supporting this widow and her children. A few weeks later, when the Amish people had an outpouring of love from across the land and the world, they shared some of the money that came in 
with this widow and her children to care for him. And the world doesn't get it. They don't, we don't get that kind of love. Because we can't give that kind of love until we've received his love. And it's that kind of love that goes on around this church right now. There's people loving on kids. And tonight, there's going to be a group of high school students coming through here and Tuesday night, junior high, middle school students. And, and people are investing in it because of God's love changing their life. And it's happening in our home groups and with our women's and our men's ministries. And it's happening in the cities and our partnership. And it's happening in our partnerships around the world with the internationals who are here in our own community. And at the end of the day, we have to say this. Even when we have God's love filling our hearts, we'll do it imperfectly until he makes us perfect and whole when he comes or takes us home. And until that day, we've got to remember that God so loved the world. He loves me. And even my inability to love, the hard-to-love people, the easy-to-love people in my life never recalibrates his love. And as we now go out to love, we become Jesus' hands and his feet. There's no better understanding what God's love is like than studying the life of Christ. And we have an opportunity to a watching world this week to let them know that our God so loved the world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for this man who lost his son. I don't know where he's at, but I pray that in a way that only you could pull it off, he'd know that you love him. That you did the same thing with your son, but you did it with eyes wide open. It wasn't an accident. And you did it for him and you did it for us here today. Lord, don't let anybody leave here thinking this is, this is just an intellectual talk about something abstract. I pray that you would give people faith to believe it, that they receive your love. I pray that you'd return us to believe the truth of the gospel and not our feelings. I pray that we wouldn't fall into the trap of thinking you love us like we love and that you would then fill our hearts to overflowing that as we're just bumping into people this week and as people bump into this church, they'd know your love, they'd know your love. God, that you would love us. We don't get it, but we have it. We want to grow in our understanding of that. Help us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.